Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. King Ahaz was out inspecting the reservoir outside the city. And he was inspecting the water supply to make sure that they had enough to survive the battle that was about to take place. Well, I shouldn't say he was concerned. He wasn't just nervous. According to the Bible, King Ahaz, at this point, At the thought of the coming battle that he's about to fight, he's not just concerned, he is flat out scared. The Bible says in Isaiah that his heart was like a tree shaking in the forest during a terrible storm. I mean, that's how scared he was. I've been there, you know. Well, King Ahaz, he had a lot of good reasons to be afraid. For one, he had decided to stop following Yahweh. His dad Jotham was a godly man. His dad Jotham was a loyal Yahwehist. He followed God. He did not waver. He was obedient to the commands of God over and over again. But then his son, King Ahaz, takes the throne at the age of 20, and he decides to do the opposite. He decides to pursue the Baals, the Asherahs, the, 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 the other gods that are out there, the other pagan gods. The Bible says that King Ahaz offered incense under every green tree and every high place in Judah. See, a green tree was a place where pagan sacrifices would often take place because it was considered a place of fertility and blessing because it had life and it was growing. Well, Ahaz regularly sacrificed and offered incense to Baal and Asherah and all these other gods at these fertility places that were all over Israel and all over Judah 
promoted by King Ahaz, who had such a godly father, but he did the exact opposite. So he had every right to be afraid of God's judgment because of that one thing, but he didn't only do that. Secondly, another reason he had to be afraid is Ahaz went a step further, a step sicker and more depraved than many of the kings who went before him. It says in 2 Kings 16 that Ahaz offered his son, his, his own son, he offered his son in the fire. Now, what that means is that he sacrificed his own son. He participated in child sacrifice, and he sacrificed his own son to one of these idols. They would have these bronze idols, you know, with fires inside of them or some other sick contraption whereby a person could take their baby child and offer it. Basically throw it into the fire and and kill it to try to appease the God they were worshiping. I mean, that's crazy. But King Ahaz did that with his own son. Maybe they were going through a drought. Maybe he wanted to win some big battle. He just felt he had to appease these gods. And so, well, the pagans around me do it. I'm going to do it that way too. And he offers his child as a sacrifice. See, in the Bible, child sacrifice is forbidden. Yahweh did not want his people worshiping him that way. But you know what? Ahaz didn't care. He was completely sold out to worshiping these other gods. And to that end, he did. And that's a dark, evil thing that he did. It's terrible. And so because of Ahaz's sin and his pagan leadership, God's wrath was upon Judah. Now, King Ahaz is the king of southern Israel, or what came to be known as Judah. And King Ahaz took over from his dad, Jotham, who died, and now Ahaz is king. But under his leadership, Judah is in big trouble. They're worshiping other gods. They've got a king who's given himself over to pagan rites. Judah and the people of Israel are God's chosen people, but yet they're pursuing other gods. What is God going to do? You know, it's interesting to me. He could have just struck them right there with a plague. I mean, he did that in David's day. Or he could have given some other divine act of judgment. Remember that story we told where an angel of death was about to kill and wipe out hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem? He could have done that. He could have done some other divine judgment that shows God's power over nature, or over man, or, or over anything like this. He could have done these outwardly big manifestations of who he is, and he would have every right to do it. But instead, God chose to use another nation as a way of conveying his divine judgment upon Judah. He used other nations to enact his terrible judgment upon Ahaz and upon Judah. And here, 
in the middle of this divine judgment, God using another nation to divinely judge Ahaz is where we find him. At the beginning of our story, checking out the water pools, checking out the water supply. And he's probably outside the city walls of Jerusalem inspecting an aqueduct, a lower pool that was an important way for them to get water supply into the city. And what is the divine judgment that God is using? Well, at this point, the king of Syria and the king of northern Israel formed an alliance to attack Judah. They are led by King Rezin of Syria and King Pekah of northern Israel. See, Pekah and Rezin gather together and they say, hey, let's get together and let's raid into Israel. And it's interesting, over and over again in the book of 2 Kings and the book of 2 Chronicles, you see that God gave Judah into the hand. God handed them over. God's moving behind the scenes to allow this to happen. Well, Rezin and Pekah get together and they raid into Israel. And by the time they are done, Pekah will have killed 120,000 men of Judah in just one day. And not only that, Pekah and his men killed Ahaz's own son. Well, King Rezin, for his part, took back a lot of the territory that belonged to Judah. He took it back and became part of the Syrian land. And between the two of them, they did a lot of damage to Ahaz. But Ahaz held his own. He didn't totally collapse. But you know what? Rezin and Pekah did a lot of damage. But why did they do a lot of damage? Because God had allowed it. Yahweh had decided to hand Ahaz and Judah over to these other forces. But you know what's interesting? He's out there inspecting the water, scared to death. What's going to happen? happen in the middle of divine judgment? But in the middle of all that, God is merciful and he's kind. And in his mercy and his kindness, he sends the prophet Isaiah to talk to Ahaz and to confront him. And this is where Ahaz and Isaiah meet at this lower water aqueduct. And it's interesting, God told Isaiah to also bring your son. And it's interesting, his son's name literally means a remnant will return. God says, Isaiah, I want you to confront Ahaz and I want you to bring along your son. Oh, by the way, your son, his name is a remnant will return. So Isaiah shows up in the middle of this calamity, in the middle of this terrible situation for Ahaz. Isaiah shows up with a visual reminder, his own son. It's a visual reminder that God will fulfill his promises to the line of David and Israel, that they will return. And by having his son right there, it was a reminder to Ahaz that, guess what? God's going to keep his promises. Do not worry, Ahaz, Israel will return. And in the middle of all this, Isaiah even says to Ahaz, calm down, be still. And it's interesting that Isaiah and God talking through Isaiah is trying to calm down 
This evil, wicked king. That's how kind God is. And then, God not only gives him a visual encouragement, but also a verbal encouragement. God says through Isaiah that God, Yahweh, wants Ahaz to ask for a sign. A sign. A sign that God is on the throne and that he is in control. Ahaz could ask for a sign, it says in Scripture in Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz could ask for a sign as deep as Sheol, which is the underworld, which is as low as it gets, or as high as the heavens. So Ahaz, in other words, could ask for some miracle that is as big as he wants it to be. God is kind and wants to offer Ahaz a chance to see the biggest, most amazing miracle of all time as a sign that God will take care of you. And Ahaz, in response, says, uh, no, I don't want to test Yahweh. No, no, I don't want to test him. You know, that sounds so holy and pious, doesn't it? For Ahaz to say he does not want to test the Lord and I want to honor him. That's what it sounds like. But in fact, it's the exact opposite. Instead, this answer shows that Ahaz has no confidence in the Lord. He has no confidence in the Lord at all that he'll be able to protect him. Instead, Ahaz trusts his new gods. He trusts the gods of the nations that are currently defeating him. Now, that makes no sense, does it? But he'd rather trust them than trust Almighty God Yahweh. So in response, God tells Ahaz that he will give him a sign. And the words Isaiah says ends up being a prophecy of such profound beauty and worth that is one of the most famous prophecies of all time. It's still spoken today. In Isaiah 7, verses 14 through 17, Isaiah says this to Ahaz, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive. Have a son and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring on you, your people, and your father's house such a time as has never been since Ephraim separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Now, it's interesting. This is a prophecy that Isaiah makes. It's a sign that Isaiah gives from God to Ahaz in this time. But Matthew takes this prophecy of judgment given by Isaiah and judgment upon Ahaz. He takes this prophecy and shows this prophecy also had a future fulfillment that was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And it's also a prophecy of encouragement that says no matter how bad the present looks for Israel, one day they're going to have a leader who will come from the nation of Israel to offer salvation to all. 
from a time of calamity, God offers a call to salvation. Matthew 1 verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? Matthew shows that this prophecy, made as a judgment upon Ahaz, had a future fulfillment in the birth of Jesus Christ. And Mary, who truly was a virgin, gave birth to the Son of God, who offers salvation to all. But this prophecy, though it has a future fulfillment, also had a contemporary fulfillment for Ahaz, and and that is this. A boy will be conceived by a young woman. Now, that word for virgin can be a young woman. What it's saying is that at this moment, this woman is still a virgin, but someday she's going to have a kid, and soon... And before this boy is old enough, this baby boy that comes, before this boy is old enough to know right from wrong, maybe when he's about three or four years old, King Rezin and King Pika will no longer be around. In fact, these nations will be scattered by another powerful nation. And that power is Assyria, led by Tiglath-Pilaser II. And this prophecy goes on to say that Ahaz will suffer and be judged by this same powerful nation of Assyria. So in his day, this is a divine judgment. This baby boy that's going to be named Emmanuel, when he is old enough to decide between right or wrong, which is about maybe two or three years from now, three or four years from now, when he's old enough to decide right from wrong, Pika and Rezin will be gone, scattered to the ends of the earth, wiped out by this awesome power called Assyria. And by the way, so will you, Ahaz. It's interesting. In his time, it's a prophecy of doom. But in the story of Jesus, and in the future fulfillment, it's a story of hope. It's a prophecy of hope. And what does Ahaz do in response to this prophecy of judgment? He doesn't know the future fulfillment, right? So he only hears words of judgment. What does he do? Does he repent and ask for forgiveness and help from Yahweh? No. Instead, Ahaz runs to the king of Assyria, Tiglath, and asks for help. Ahaz knows Assyria will be the source of God's judgment, but he still goes to the exact person that's going to be used to judge him to ask for help. And not only that, he takes the gold and the silver out of the Lord's house, out of the temple treasury, out of the Lord's house, He also takes some of the utensils and chops up the gold. He takes the money that was dedicated to the Lord and uses that to bribe Tiglath to come help him. Essentially, he's saying, if you come help me in fighting off Rezin and Pekah, if you come help me fight the king of Syria and the king of northern Israel, if you come help me 
then the nation of Judah and, and I will become your, your vassal state. We'll become part of the Assyrian kingdom. I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. So, after being bribed, Tiglath says, all right, let's do this. And so he goes up to Damascus, the capital of Syria, and he wipes resin out. And he just takes the people of Syria and deports them back to Babylon, his capital city, and he takes them out of there. And again, like the prophecy said, in three to four years, resin is gone. That country is gone. And guess who's inhabiting Damascus? Tiglath. Well, Ahaz then meets Tiglath in the city of Damascus. Now, Damascus is the capital of Syria and was the center of power for Rezin. Well, the reason Tiglath is there is because Tiglath had just conquered Damascus and deported Rezin and most of the Syrian people to his country. Rezin and Syria were destroyed. Prophecy of Isaiah vindicated. And what he said would happen, happened exactly as he said it would. Well, while he's in Damascus, Ahaz looks around at the power in front of him. The might symbolized by Tiglath and the Assyrian military machine. And he decides... To worship the gods of Assyria. It says in 2 Chronicles 28. At the time of his distress. King Ahaz himself became more unfaithful to the Lord. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus which had defeated him. For since the gods of the kings of Syria are helping them, I will sacrifice to them so that they will help me. But here's the key. It then says, but they were the downfall of him and of all Israel. 2 Chronicles 28, 22 through 23. I mean, think about it. The logic of Ahaz, as previously mentioned, goes like this. Since Assyria and their gods defeated my god, Yahweh, I will worship them. And that was the standard thinking back then. If you were defeated by another tribe or kingdom, then their gods became your god. And the god you did worship, your local deity, then became part of the divine council of the victorious kingdom's god. They're all sitting at the council table around the new, big, winning deity. In this case, the supreme deity of Assyria was Asher. And therefore, Ahaz's god, Yahweh, becomes a lower god and just joins the council listening to and advising the big dog god of Asher. Ahaz sadly, then decides to jump into worshiping this new deity full throttle. He sees an altar. He likes worshiping there in Asher. And he, he sees this, I, this, this altar devoted to the worship of the, their god Asher. And he decides to build the exact same altar back in the temple in Jerusalem. And he sends plans ahead of him so that Uriah the high priest can start building the altar. And by the time Ahaz returns, 
the new altar, the new way of worshiping, and the new God is up and running. And 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles talks about Ahaz beginning to sacrifice on this altar to Asher in the temple dedicated to the one true God, Yahweh. Think about what is happening right now. The one true God, the ruler of the universe, is having his temple desecrated to worshiping a far lesser deity, a member of his divine council. Ahaz has it backwards. Yahweh is in charge and is the head of the council. He should be worshiping Yahweh, but instead he is worshiping a false god, a lesser god. How dumb is Ahaz? But are we any different today? Do we not end up worshiping idols and things that have defeated us? How many of you are or will be addicted to a drug, a desire, you know, addicted to a desire to be liked or addicted to a desire to please someone, addicted to fame, to power, to money? All of these things end up defeating us, dominating many of us. And in the end, We worship the same thing that just defeated us. Proverbs 26.11 says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. It's a perfect example of someone allowing a god, in this case alcohol, to dominate and win the battle for control. And then you go back to that same thing for comfort, even as it destroys you. We're just like Ahaz. We're worshiping the very gods that are defeating us. And we're ignoring the true God who offers the only hope we could have. In the end, King Ahaz never comes back to God. And he pursues these other little g-gods. And under his leadership, Judah begins to slide further and further into apostasy and paganism. Judah and Ahaz have to deal with war after war. Ahaz first fights off Pekah and Rezin, which he does successfully, but is left with very few soldiers. So he has to ask Tiglath, the king of Assyria, for help. And then God says, I'm going to use this king, this country, this Assyria, to scatter northern Israel and to be a judge upon Ahaz and Judah. Instead of looking to God for their salvation, Judah and Ahaz look to their own wisdom and their own thinking to defend themselves. In the end... They abandon the only hope they have. And as the writer of Second Chronicles points out, the pursuit of other gods led to their downfall. Lucky for him, King Ahaz dies before all this tragedy takes place. It is interesting to note that he was not buried with the other kings in Jerusalem, but just in the city like any other ordinary citizen. People knew 
Ahaz was not deserving of that honor. And then his son, Hezekiah, comes to the throne. What will happen to him? Well, you'll have to come back to our next podcast to find out. But I just pray that I won't be a person who rejects obeying the one true God, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how unpopular it is. I pray I will never stop following Jesus and his commands. And I hope it's not true of me that I'm worshiping these other little G-gods who are causing me so much suffering, but in them I find my comfort even as they cause me to suffer. I pray I'm wise, and I pray that I know Jesus as my Savior, that I love him better every day, and I put my hope and trust in him no matter what my circumstances say. Let's not be King Ahaz. Let's pursue Jesus all our days. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.